Hi, folks. Thanks for joining us uh, online again this week. And once again, I hope you know that we've been praying for you. If you have prayer requests or concerns that you would like to express to us, uh, you can do that by uh, contacting us through Facebook or you could get online at uh, graceinrichland.com and uh, you could reach out to one of us that way. We'd love to hear from you and, and continue to lift up the things that are concerning in your world. As we face all of this together, the turmoil that has surrounded us in recent days, um, we've been looking at what our faith should look like as it transforms the way we view our world. And today we're going to continue with that as we think about the life of David. It is uh, another big story like the story of Joseph consuming many chapters and many twists and turns. And, and I'm going to cut it down, way down, um, into some bite-sized pieces so that you can follow along at home. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, as we look at David and where he was at the beginning of his life, the biggest thing that we're going to show as we continue to move through this process together is that this takes time. Uh, as you've heard me say on a number of occasions, and uh, I like to use the phrase, uh, it takes a lifetime to grow a life. Don Rao, uh, who is a pastor emeritus here, has, has used that phrase for years. And for me, it really fits what Christianity is all about. Your, your life continues to grow until the point that you are glorified and, and spend time with Jesus then uh, for eternity. As we look at these men's lives, we see that, that as you go chapter to chapter, you kind of forget that, that you're, as you read, you're, you're reading in minutes of time, but these are years of their lives that are unfolding. And that is especially true of David as we follow his life. And we're just going to start with him becoming the chosen one of God for the kingdom of Israel up until the point where he becomes actually a king, where he actually gets seated on the throne. And, and we'll look at that together as we follow along. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7 through 13. Samuel was a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass by in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. 
He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was handsome features. And when the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. And so Samuel took his horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So we see this picture, and if you have read the story before, you know that King Saul was king of the land, and he had been chosen by the people because he was tall and good-looking and strong and would be a figurehead, physically speaking, for the nation of Israel. And God reminds the nation of Israel and his choice of David. I don't look at their outward appearance. What it is that they can do physically doesn't really matter. What really matters is that they have a heart that follows me. And so he tells Samuel and instructs him to look at Jesse's sons as he's selecting a new king for Israel. And he tells him specifically, don't look at his physical appearance because that's not what God judges. I look at the heart, he says. In this moment, we're dealing with a young man or a boy, really. Um, by today's standards, he couldn't even drive. Most believe that, that David was 15 years or younger uh, when this event happened. So he's 15 years old, let's say just for round numbers, and he is out tending the sheep, doing the most menial of tasks, taking care of the herd and the flock. He's called back in and all of his brothers have been passed over. And now again, we find this sibling, the youngest one being anointed and used by God. It's a theme that God continues to perpetuate. It's, it's not the way we see it all the time. It's not the natural selection process. It has to do with God seeing their heart and he was chosen because of his Heart. You know, he had spent a bunch of time out by himself cultivating this relationship with God. And, and we'll look at that in a minute. He spent all kinds of time by himself tending sheep. And now he was anointed and he was going to become king. So some of his new duties would be to tend sheep, to play music for the current king, and to run errands for his dad. Wait, that sounds a whole lot like what he was doing. <laughs> David is anointed as the new king of Israel, 15 years old. The spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on him. And then as we read the next few chapters, nothing changes for David's world. The transaction that we've been talking about, right? That this transactional versus transformational faith. If it were a transaction, then as soon as David was anointed, something would change and David would get what it is that he deserved, right? That he had earned. And that's not how God works, folks. Transactions like that 
don't work in the time frames that we think they do. David is brought into God's plan here at 15 years old, and he is then sent back out to tend sheep. He runs errands to his brothers, and he plays music to soothe the king of Israel, Saul. He plays his harp, his lyre, in his courts to soothe the nerves of Saul. So the king that has been anointed is now serving everybody else. It's an amazing picture, actually, what God would expect of a king. As he runs some of these errands for his dad, um, one of the things that he does is he goes to a battle. And this is a famous scene because as he's running these errands, he happens to find himself at the front lines of a battle between Israel and the Philistines. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not 20 years old yet. Typically, uh, you would enter the army and fight for the nation of Israel around 20 years old. And so somewhere between 15 and 20, David shows up and talks with his brothers and his brothers are angry with him. If you've read this story, you know where I'm going. He just happens to kill a giant on one of these errands. He was there to take bread and cheese to the army and check on his brothers and yet he ends up killing Goliath. That's what happens inside of the story all before he's 20 years old. But even after he kills Goliath, he, he has some time to go back and, and do some of those menial tasks again. And over the next couple of years, he comes into his own and Saul begins to use him as a commander. Now he sees him differently and, and sends him out on some of these missions. And he's incredibly successful. So the people of the country now know David's name. So at 15, he's anointed the king of Israel. He serves the sheep. He serves his father and he serves the king in that time frame. And along the way, he does exactly what God wants him to do. He steps up in moments that he's called and he ends up killing Goliath and he ends up being a very effective commander in the, in the nation of Israel's army. Almost too successful though, because as you read through these chapters, you see that the the people begin to respond to David as he's killed Goliath, as he's been successful in warfare, and he's, he's been involved in all of these battles. The refrain that Saul begins to hear that, that starts to irritate him is that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And the people begin to think about David on a higher level than the king currently. And so as we pick up the story again, David's life has taken a turn. He's been anointed. He has, he's done what he's supposed to do. He's done exactly what God wanted him to do all along, including kill Goliath. And he continues to play the harp for Saul. And we find him here in Chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. The next day, 
an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house and while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. So David, after being anointed, goes back into service as a shepherd, as an errand boy, does what God wants him to do, doesn't just jump right to the throne. He's now a commander. He's one of notoriety, but we see him here in the king's court, in Saul's court, back playing music again. And it's obvious that that the jealousy that is building up in Saul is about to boil over. This evil spirit that is allowed by God to fall on Saul out of the boiling rage that comes out of the jealousy because he's afraid that David's going to take the, the kingdom by force boils over in this moment. He picks up a spear and he throws it. It says he eluded him twice. And so I assume that there was another spear close by and he threw a second spear at David. David had a choice in this moment. By today's language, these two men would be set opposite of each other. Today's language, Saul would be described as someone who has bought into his own hype, somebody that believes he is the king, the rightful king, and the people should only be talking about him. But the distance that creates between him and God the distance that Saul has allowed in his life between the one that put him in charge and he, plus the jealousy of David boils over and he is driven stark raving mad. He is absolutely drunk with jealousy and tries to kill David. The attempt to kill David, this is the first opportunity that we see a physical confrontation where David has to make a choice. He knows he's been anointed, right? He's done what he's supposed to. He put himself in harm's way with Goliath. He has served the king in battle, and now the king tries to kill him with a spear. There's a book that I like to read often called The Tale of Three Kings, and the picture that is presented as one of David eluding the spear. The spears stick in the wall behind David. And at that very moment, David has to make a choice. He has to choose, is my position a transactional one between God? He anointed me and therefore I deserve to be the king. If it is a transaction, then I can take that spear out of the wall and I can throw it back at Saul. I can be just like him, take him out, and take what is rightfully mine. I deserve that. David has to, in his own heart, in a moment's notice, make the decision, is it a transaction between he and God, or is it in God's timing that he will be transformed 
into the person that, that could sit as the ruler of the nation of Israel. When he was 15, he was anointed and he does all that he's supposed to do, follows through. He is now threatened by the king of Israel. He's been, there's been two attempts on his life and he has to choose, am I going to pick up that spear and throw it back and take what is rightfully mine or am I going to wait for God to give it to me? It doesn't stop there. By chapter 19, verse 1, Saul has taken it even to another level. Verse 1 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. They had become friends. And you know the story a little bit if you're reading along. And I would encourage you again, like the story of Joseph, to start here in chapter 16 and read through the life of David and to, to pull out the pieces that we're not going to be able to get to all of today. The important thing is that we continue to see the life of David transformed. David flees after that spear-throwing incident. He runs away. He flees the area. He gets out of the way, and, and he runs to a cave. He spends time in a desert. He knows that Saul is consumed by jealousy, and he descends into complete madness ordering all of his attendants to kill David. He actually pursues David into these areas with a small army of men to try to just take out David, to protect his kingdom. Saul has gone absolutely crazy. But it is in these unique moments as David is running and in fear for his life, having chosen not to kill Saul. And as we watch the story unfold, we see at least two more occasions where David could have taken Saul's life, but chooses not to. Because he knows it's not his life to take. He is either following God's plan or he is not. This is a difficult thing when you put this into our terms. Even today, what is it like to wait on God for what it is that he is doing in our world? The unique thing about David is that we get to read some of his innermost thoughts as we look at the Psalms that he wrote. He wrote about 73 different Psalms. Uh, short windows into how David was feeling throughout this tumultuous time in his life. It gives us an idea of what we might be able to do and how we can continue to cultivate our relationship with God as we go through trials, as we know, you know, Lord, this isn't what, what you really want for us, and we can kind of see it out there, but we can't get there yet. What are you doing in my heart now as you transform my faith in who you are, as, as eternity waits out there for us? And we deal with all the things that are going on in our life, whether it be a crazy boss as King Saul could, could stipulate here, we could put him in that position, 
or a life of, of fear, one that we're always constantly worried about what's going to happen next. David lived those things out and he wrote his thoughts down. So one of them that I chose is a short psalm, Psalm chapter 13. So we can look at a few sentences that David uses and see how he goes from one phase of feeling to another. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling the pain and the turmoil of your life. But David has a way of taking all of that and then laying it out before God and letting it be God's responsibility. Letting God transform his heart by the circumstances he is going through. So Psalm chapter 13 1 through 6, this is the whole psalm here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. There are three things here that we see, in my opinion, that David goes through. There's, there's phases of this, and you need to think about where your heart is right now. As David is anointed king at 15, and we haven't even made it to the place where he's on the throne yet. That doesn't happen until he's 30 years old. So for 15 years, he waits in this limbo, watching Saul chase him around and, and do the crazy things that he does to him. And so the first excerpt is how David is feeling at the, at the end of all this struggle. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And I know there are some times when we feel like that. As we come up now on what is like an 11-month anniversary of, of some of the shutdowns. We're, we're moving into February here and, and we're looking at, at what has become almost a year's worth of time and we wonder how long, Lord, are you going to allow this to happen? Or maybe we're looking at the politics of our world and, and believe me, you don't even want to get me started because from the very beginning of politics until now, there has been rancor, there has been jealousy, there has been murder, there has been deceit. It is nothing new. And so you could say, how long, O Lord, will you allow these men to rule over us? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts as I, as I close my day? How long do I wrestle with the turmoil about what are you doing, God? What is going on in your world? Have you forgotten me? Look on me and answer. Give me an answer, David says. 
15 years of hiding in caves and in deserts from a king that wants nothing more than to kill you, even though you are the rightful heir to the throne. The second part of this, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you want me to fail, Lord? Do you want me to fall? Like, do you just want me to crawl into a hole and die? Do you want me to sleep in death? Like, just get it over with already. Total despair and concession of his life. These are emotions that, that we feel throughout the circumstances, the pain, the agony, the struggle of life, but it transforms our heart if we allow it to take the final step. If we allow it to cultivate our heart and to realize that nothing on this earth can hurt us, that God does not allow that God does not allow for our benefit, that, that God will not be doing something either for us here or for our legacy. And David twists it at the very end here, only six verses, and he goes from, from despair to utter concession of his life to what I'm going to say he is resigned. He has, he's just, his countenance softens. I can see him relax and say, all of this is hard for me to understand, but I trust in your unfailing love. Trust. The thoughts of my mind, right? What do I actually trust mentally? What do I put my trust in? How do I think about situations? And then he says, my heart rejoices in my salvation, in your salvation, the salvation that he is going to bring. My trust, my belief then, my actions, I start to, to rejoice. I act as if I understand salvation is the most important thing and it can only come from your hand. And then the last phrase that I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. How I think, what I believe truly at the core and what I give thanks for, what I praise God for in the end are the things that will really matter. That will testify to my heart. If David had stopped with how long will you forget me or will you let me sleep in death, that pain, that agony begins to, to just reside in him and become who he is. But he doesn't stop there. He realizes it's good to vent that stuff, to get it out of his heart and to then rest in trust, belief, and praise. He trusts God. He believes in his salvation and he praises him because he knows that God has been good to him. Spirit, experience tells him that God will be good again. It's important that we 
have the ability to do this, I would encourage you to think about writing your own song. Take a moment and just write down some of the ways that you're feeling, the things that are anxious in your heart. Get them out of you onto some paper and then end by saying, God, I feel this way, but I know you are good. I know that I can trust you. I can believe you and I'm going to act like I believe you. And then I'm going to praise you at the end of the day for what you've done. The amazing thing is that God starts this whole thing in 1 Samuel by looking for a man after his own heart. He talks about it earlier. Then he, then he re, retells it basically to Samuel. He says, I want you to look for somebody after my own heart. And then Paul in the book of Acts chapter 13 is recounting the nation of Israel's uh, successes and some of their heroes. And he, he lands here as he talks about Saul and David. And he, he uses these couple verses. And I want to end with this because you need to understand again that God was in the details of this entire plan. It doesn't make sense that for 15 years David hid in a cave, but it was to transform his heart to be the king that would follow everything that God wanted. How do I know that? Because Paul reiterates it as he looks back on the nation of Israel's history in Acts chapter 13, verses 21 to 23. Then the people asking for a king. And he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. All of the things that David did, God wanted him to do. Paul is recounting what God said about David. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Have you expressed how you feel to God? Take a minute and think about how David did that. If he is a man after God's own heart, then, then God wants to know how we are feeling. He wants us to deal with that, not just repress it and keep it quiet, but express it. And he wants us to practice trust with our mind. Trust your, your, your thoughts of who God is. Then your actions will express your real true beliefs and then at the end of the day, your words will speak the praise of who God is. That's the pattern that David sets for us. That if we trust, then we will believe and we will act and then we will praise because we will see that God has been good to us. It's amazing to me again that all of this that David goes through can be summed up in that last sentence that that God from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. David again is plugged into that line that delivers Jesus to you. <laughs> this man after God's own heart. 
This was part of God's plan. As we see these twists and these turns and we don't always understand what God is doing, how could, how could Saul have treated David so badly? But it was all part of the plan that David would learn how to trust in his mind, that he would believe and his actions would be that that, that, that follows out of the trust. And then he would praise God because he had been good to him. All of that so that the Savior Jesus could be brought to a world who desperately needs him. I hope that that is your goal. That as you think about and express your feelings to God, that you are developing trust, belief, and praise. And that all of those things help you to fall deeply in love with the God you serve but also help you to express to others in your life the goodness of God. We have that opportunity, just like David. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to follow the life of David. I pray that you would continue to encourage us, that we would trust you, that our minds would be sold out to you. And as we think of good things of you and we trust you with our lives, we begin to act and, and really believe it by our actions, that we throw ourselves out there. We put ourselves in positions to, to be used by you. And then at the end of the day, we can say, thank you, God, for using us. It's not easy in these moments. We, we wonder, and how long will you forget us? And we struggle with those things, but I pray that we empty our hearts of those things and we fill it back up with trust, belief, and praise. That we would praise you for who you are. Lord, thank you for doing that in and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.